I enjoy studying the lives of people that we don't focus on very often. And for this morning, I've chosen the life of King Uzziah. He was a remarkable man for a lot of reasons that I believe will become more and more evident to you as his story unfolds. This morning, we will be reading extensively from 2 Chronicles 26. So please turn there in your Bible or on your device while I set the scene. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Uzziah was born in a very turbulent time in the history of the Hebrew people. 100 years prior to the start of his reign, a very foolish king named Rehoboam had torn the kingdom into two bitter enemies. Israel was the kingdom in the north, and Judah was the kingdom in the south. And in the 100 years that followed, these two nations were often at war with each other. More significantly, the kings of these countries became more and more evil as a group and as individuals. All of Israel's kings were evil to the very core, but at least some of the kings in Judah were somewhat godly. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on Uzziah. Uzziah's father was Amaziah, and he was assassinated. Amaziah's father Joash fell victim to a conspiracy by his officers. Joash's father, Ahaziah, sat on the throne for just one year before he was murdered. Ahaziah's mother, Athaliah, reigned in his place until she was executed. So the last four monarchs in Judah reigned uh, until they were killed. Now, if I were Uzziah, I would not have had a very good feeling about the start of my reign. Let's just say this is not the golden era of Judah. The bad kings were completely godless, but at least the prophets and the priests were faithful to God. And there were periods of relative stability and peace when there were some good kings on the throne. But even during these better times, they never worshipped and obeyed God with the same kind of passion and devotion that was shown by King David and King Solomon, which was the golden era. So let's start with Second Chronicles 26. I'm going to read verses 1 and 3. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Now these verses appear to say that Amaziah, the father of Uzziah, was king for only six years when the people installed his 16-year-old son as co-regent. Now, why would the people do that? It's a little unusual for a father and son to co-reign, and it's also unusual for a 16-year-old boy to be chosen as king, not just become king because his father had died. Show of hands, how many of you would vote for a 16-year-old to be the leader of your nation? I didn't think so. I think we get a clue to the reason why this was done by going back one chapter to 2 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2. It says, Amaziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, so far so good, yet not with a whole heart. Let me read that in the New Century Version translation. Amaziah did what, what the Lord said was right, but he did not really want to obey God. Wow, that makes it really clear, doesn't it? What does that say to me? 
It says that Amaziah was a fence rider, an unstable man who could not be counted on to be consistent, or that he would do the right thing simply because it was the right thing, or that, uh, or that he would be doing what was politically expedient. Now, so that we're all on the same page, the meaning of expedient is convenient and practical, though possibly improper or even immoral. Let me show you how that played out. Although Amaziah started strong, he made compromises, like setting up idols and worshiping them, paying a huge amount of money that was collected from the people in the form of taxes to buy mercenary soldiers, only to send them home with the pay and without having done anything. Or how about picking a pointless fight with the king of Israel in the northern kingdom and losing in a very humiliating way. The first step that the people of Judah took was to make Amaziah's 16-year-old son, Uzziah, co-leader. But eventually, even that was not enough for them, and they killed Amaziah, leaving Uzziah to be the king. And let's see how that was described. Going back to Second Chronicles 26 and picking up at verse 4. And Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, that was the prophet, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now, if this had been a written sermon or even one of my blogs, I would have used italics on that phrase to add emphasis. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. This phrase points to a principle. Seek the Lord and he will prosper you. Now that I'm not saying that that means you're going to become rich or famous. It means that the Lord will use you and honor your efforts and in that sense will prosper you. This may mean that we need to rethink our definition of prosperity to understand the true spiritual meaning. Now let's talk about the work of a good king. Because of grace, God prospered Uzziah. A grace is a word that we use often at church or with our friends when we're with other Christians, but I think it's often a word that we use without fully understanding the meaning of it. So let me give you an example. Let's imagine for a moment that you loaned something valuable to somebody and they ended up destroying it. If you said, I want you to give me a brand new one to replace it, that would be justice. But if you dealt with that person in mercy instead, you would say, you don't have to give me a brand new one, I forgive you. But if you dealt with them in grace, you wouldn't insist that they give you a new one, but you would buy a new one and give it to them because they obviously needed it. And then on top of that, you would take them out to dinner. That's an example of grace, which is God's unmerited favor. Because of grace, God prospered Uzziah in many ways that you would expect a king to experience success. Blessing number one was military conquest. Let's go back to our passage and begin at verse 6. He went out and made war against the Philistines, and he broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. 
God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal and against the Meunites. And just in case you're wondering, yes, I did go back and listen to somebody else pronounce all of those names so that I would get them right. Uzziah was not only a capable general, but he was a wise and a compassionate statesman. He didn't merely pillage his enemy after conquering them. He subdued these potentially dangerous nations and then turned them into peaceful neighbors by treating them with compassion. More importantly are the words that we find in verse 7, God helped him. Now you might be thinking, war isn't a good thing. Why is this considered a blessing? Don't think of this like the President of the United States declaring war on Canada and Mexico. Think of this instead of the President declaring war on ISIS and the mafia and drug lords, and not only subduing them, but then causing them to become peaceful and law-abiding people. Blessing number two, notoriety and respect. Verse eight, the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. In the ancient world, tribute was appeasement money. It said, we respect your power over us. Please accept this gift as a token of our loyalty to you and our gratitude for not wiping us out. Blessing number three was prosperity. Back to verse 9 and 10. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, at the corner gate and the valley gate, and at the angle, and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah made wise plans and he carried them out in, in the keeping with this principle of grace. And the Lord gave him favorable results. As Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Kings not only ran nations, they also built personal estates. And Uzziah, even though he was a king and a military leader, he was a farmer at heart. He loved to work the soil. And if you and I had visited Uzziah's Jerusalem, we would have seen a bountiful landscape covering the slopes of Judea. An old Italian man lived alone in New Jersey, and he wanted to plant his annual tomato garden. This is a true story, just in case you were wondering. No, it wasn't. But it was very difficult work because the ground was very hard, and he was an old man by this time. And his only son, Vincent, who used to help him, was in prison. And so the man wrote a letter to his son and described his problem. Dear Vincent, I'm feeling pretty sad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. I know if you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you would be happy to dig up the ground for me, like in the old days. Love, Papa. A few days later, the farmer received a letter from his son. Dear Pop, don't dig up that garden. That's where the bodies are buried. Love, Vinny. At 4 a.m. the next morning, the FBI and the local police were there digging up the entire area, didn't find any bodies, and so they apologized to the old man and left. That same day in the afternoon mail, the father received another letter from his son. It said, 
Dear Pop, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. I love you, Vinny. <laughs> you know the reason I tell these stories is just to make sure that you're still paying attention, right? The land that Uzziah governed was known as a wilderness, but became known as a very fertile field. Uzziah had a talent for making everything that he touched bloom and bear fruit. And that is so unlike me. I like plants, but sometimes they don't like me. When we lived in York, Pennsylvania, we lived in a house. Uh, we moved there, and they had a kind of uh, a garden in the front that had not been paid much attention to. And so over the years, I tried to cultivate and make it more beautiful. And as I drove to church and back home every day, there was a house a few blocks away that had the most beautiful tulips I have ever seen. One day in January or February, there was snow on the ground, and the tulips were in full bloom. It was then that I realized that my neighbors had planted plastic tulips. <laughs> I know I broke the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's tulips, especially if they're plastic. Okay, back to our sermon. <clears throat> Blessing number four, power, in verse 11. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war. In divisions, according to the numbers in the muster made by Jel, the secretary, and Maasa, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of the father's houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Uzziah was a very capable warrior, a creative and a strategic thinker. We've already seen how he was ready to take the offensive when strategy called for it. But unlike his father, he wasn't out to just pick a fight. Virtually everything he did was to ensure the prosperity of and the safety of the kingdom. Blessing number five, security, verse 14 and 15. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. I'm impressed by the inventiveness and the ingenuity of Uzziah. He didn't entirely rely on brute force or weapons, helmets, and shields for defense. He put together an ingenious array of machines to increase the effectiveness of his towers and to strengthen his walls. Along with the impressive army he had assembled were all these cutting-edge inventions that put Judah far ahead of the other nations. Before long, the country Uzziah led, surrounded by vast, lush, produce-rich countryside, had many defense-ready cities. Anyone thinking of attacking Judah would be smart to change their mind. But pride crept into Uzziah's heart. Uzziah's impressive reputation as a creative Prosperous, strong king spread rapidly, and the neighboring nations both feared and admired him. His subjects praised him and pledged their loyalty, 
And that's when he began to believe all of his press clippings. Here's an illustration of what pride can do. According to the National Geographic website, the pufferfish can inflate into a ball shape to evade predators. And pufferfish fill their elastic stomachs with huge amounts of water and some air and blow themselves up several times their normal size. But these blow-up fish aren't just cute. Pufferfish contain toxic substances that make them foul-tasting and potentially lethal to other fish. And the toxin is deadly to humans, 1,200 times more deadly than cyanide. And there is no known antidote. One single pufferfish can kill up to 30 humans. Like pufferfish, we can blow ourselves up with pride and arrogance to make ourselves seem bigger than we are. And this pride can become toxic to a marriage or a church or a friendship, or in this case, a kingdom. We shouldn't be shocked that this happened to Uzziah because it can happen to us as well. People start telling us how good we are and and something about things that we've done. And sooner or later, we think, that's right. I really am all that. But let's look back at the end of verse 15 that says, he was marvelously helped until he was strong. For many years, Uzziah acted wisely and the Lord multiplied his efforts. It could have just as easily have gone the other way. God is not obligated to bless us. Take the example of farming. A farmer does everything he's supposed to through hard work. Till, plant, water, fertilize. But it's always the Lord who is responsible for a good harvest. Take a few moments and put yourself in Uzziah's shoes. Perhaps you're on your way up right now. You're implementing plans that are paying off. You're creative and competent, and you're reaping the harvest of hard work. Things are going really well for you. And you can justifiably say that your success that you are enjoying is the direct result of applying good strategy, or wise leadership, or creative thinking, or uncommon perseverance. Or maybe it's a combination of some of those things. If that's you, I'm happy for you. And I mean that sincerely. The Lord has chosen to bless and prosper you. That's very gracious of God to do that. Uzziah was a remarkable man in many ways, and he deserved a lot of credit for the things that he had accomplished. Giving all the glory to God doesn't mean that you should deny your own role. The danger lies in diminishing God's role. What does Proverbs 16.8 tell us that pride leads to? That's right. It tells us that it leads to a fall. Now let's look at verse 16 in 2 Chronicles 26. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Everything was going good until Uzziah grew proud. And this can happen to anyone, not just kings. When you recognize the necessity of God's power and the futility of your efforts apart from him, he wants to marvelously help you until we grow strong in our own eyes. And when that happens, things change. 
Verse 16 shows us that our foremost area to be faithful in is not our career. It's not even our home. It's our own heart. If we have a humble attitude in our heart, our behavior will follow suit. Uzziah began to think something like this. Man, I really am something. The people are right. There's never been a king like me. Look at all my inventions. Look at my wealth. The citizens of Judah have never had it so good. So he grabbed the instruments of worship and entered a place that he had no right to be. Blinded by pride, he lost all restraint. Verse 17. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord your God. In this explosive collision of wills, everyone could see Uzziah's conceit, his pride, and his disrespect for the Lord and what he thought of his role and the role of the priests. Everything at this point has become exposed. If anyone had missed it before, the truth about Uzziah's attitude is now unmistakable. And what happened next helped to clarify reality for Uzziah as well. Beginning in verse 19, it says, Then Uzziah was angry. I want to pause in this story for a few minutes and compare Uzziah's response, anger, with a similar situation with King David and his response of humility found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David, as we know, was the greatest of the United, the greatest king of the United Kingdom of Israel. He also sinned against God. And you could even make the case that his sin was more egregious than that of Uzziah. David had committed adultery. And then he put out a contract on the husband's life to wipe out the evidence. Let's just say that the Lord was not fooled. God sent the prophet Nathan to tell King David a parable about a rich man who took a sheep from a poor man, even though he had plenty of his own. And David was angry at the rich man in this story. And he said that he deserved to die, but only after paying the man four sheep for the one that he had taken. And then Nathan confronted David saying, you are the man. He didn't say you demand. He said, you are the man. (laughs) What was David's response when he was confronted with his sin? Humility, sorrow, contrition. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Back to Uzziah. What was Uzziah's response when he was confronted with his sin? Anger. He was angry at being confronted. Let's pick it up again in verse 19. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with a priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him and behold... He was leprous in his forehead and they rushed him out quickly and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. Can you picture this? Uzziah dressed in his fancy king clothes, 
putting on the flowing priestly robe, censer in his hands, his eyes blazing with righteous indignation and commanding the priest to get out of his way. And then just as he begins to remind everyone of his divine authority as the king of Judah, a small leprous sore forms above his eyes. And then the flesh of his face and his neck and his arms begins to decay far too quickly to be natural. Within a few minutes, his body is covered with the most dreaded disease of his day. This debilitating, disfiguring disease does more than change a person's physical appearance. It completely removes any pride, and it leaves the victims broken. The importance of finishing well. Considering Uzziah's long, impressive career, 52 years in all, this was a tragic end. It may have been a just end, but it was still tragic. The Lord had helped him. The Lord had prospered him. But when this remarkable and gifted leader presumed to extend his authority even to the temple, God's holy place, the Lord struck him down. Uzziah the leader became Uzziah the loser. Let's read his epitaph, verse 21. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now here's something any musician can tell you. The most important notes you play are often the last few bars. You can recover from a rough beginning. You still have time to settle down and find yourself in the middle. But there's nothing to follow those last notes except silence. The quality of those final notes on the final page will usually be the ones that shape the audience's memory of your performance. Without question, Uzziah started well. The majority of his career provided a godly, safe, and prosperous environment for God's people. But the final notes of his performance spoiled the whole concert. This is what the audience remembered. Verse 23. And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the king's. For they said, he is a leper, and Jotham his son reigned in his place. Because Uzziah had become a leper, he had to live out the rest of his days all alone. Think of that. When he died, they buried him in a field next to the royal cemetery, not in the royal cemetery. Because even in death, he was still considered unclean. They didn't even mark his gravestone with, he was a king. They didn't say he was a king who became a leper. By the end, his greatness was forgotten. They wrote what they remembered. He was a leper. What is his impact on us? Here are three powerful principles that we can get from this fascinating story. Principle number one, there is no genuine success apart from God. Solomon wrote in Psalm 127.1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Uzziah started strong, but it was the Lord who gave him his great success. If you're enjoying prosperity, give God all the credit and be thankful. Even though it came as a result of careful planning and strong commitment and hard work, the harvest was only possible because the Lord gave his labor success. Don't ever forget that. Principle number two, few tests reveal the character of a a person like success. Success does not ruin a person. Success reveals a person. Isn't it interesting that most people can handle adversity with grace, but very few people can handle life at the top? Abraham Lincoln once said, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. If you're enjoying success, do not fool yourself into thinking that it's your reward for being God's favored child. Do with success what you do in any difficult time. Pray, hold it loosely, seek wise counsel, and look for lessons. Why am I warning you about success? Because although it may have taken years of hard work to achieve it, it can vanish in a heartbeat. As Solomon wrote, riches make themselves wings. They fly away. Principle number three. The God who blesses is also the God who can break. You've heard the old saying, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Uzziah's father defeated the Edomites by the power of God, and then he brought the God of his defeated enemies home and began to worship them. Does that even make any sense? I just defeated you and the God that you worship, the false God, so I'm going to bring it back and worship it, the defeated God. So God disciplined him. And you notice I didn't say God punished him. I said God disciplined him. Then the son, Uzziah, became strong because the Lord prospered him. But then he tried to use his power to flout God's law in God's temple, and the Lord disciplined him. The same cause and effect principle is still in effect. God is a God of grace, so we shouldn't come away with the idea that we can earn God's blessing. He will always give us better than we deserve. However, God is far more concerned with our holiness than with our happiness. So he will send us whatever it takes to make us holy. If blessing won't get the job done, then he will send chastisement. God wants to bless us beyond all we can imagine. The Lord that helped and prospered Uzziah is the same Lord who said, let him have leprosy. Does that sound harsh? Consider this, because God is perfectly right and infinitely loving, absolutely holy, inexhaustibly patient, and inexplicably merciful, we can be sure that the leprosy was the very least God could do to get the attention of the king he loved. And it worked. Here's the cure for being spiritually unclean. Uzziah was a somebody who ended up as a nobody. But as you read through the Bible, you will see that God loves nobodies. Aren't you glad for that? I know I am. 
When Jesus walked on earth as a man, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The irony of this story is that the proud king merely discovered what he really was from the beginning. The uncleanness of his sores and his status as an unclean outcast alerted him to the uncleanness that had been in his soul all along. When he finally accepted his status as a nobody, he took his place alongside the rest of us. Then and only then was he prepared to meet the only real somebody. My hope is that Uzziah, quarantined from society at large and permanently banned from public service, allowed the Lord to make him somebody that we should emulate. Why do I think that's possible? Because after a long stream of evil kings and good kings gone bad, Uzziah's son, Jotham, became the only king of Judah in 130 years to be listed as exclusively good. I would like to think that it was those seven years that Jotham spent in co-regency with his father, Uzziah, probably learning from his father's mistakes. If so, that's the kind of impact every nobody should have, including you and me. In the days of King Uzziah, leprosy was incurable, and it remained so until the 20th century. It was believed that leprosy was highly contagious, which it was if the contaminated person continued to have close contact with other people. That was the reason for removing a leper from society and why the person with leprosy was responsible for letting other people know of their condition. This describes every person who has ever lived when it comes to our spiritual condition. But there is and always has been a cure for our spiritual uncleanness. The gospel is the cure for our spiritual condition. The gospel is the message that we are all separated from God because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. The result of this sin is an emptiness, an ever-present guilt, and a certain fear of death. Yet because God loved us in spite of our rebellion... He sent his own son to die in our place and to bridge the gap between him and ourselves. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By placing our faith and trust in Jesus, we can be cured of our spiritual leprosy. We're told that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. What if you've already received cleansing of your soul? Is it possible to make some really poor choices and still be saved? In John 10, 28 through 29, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Yes, King David and King Uzziah are both examples of God's grace. Both were forgiven and restored spiritually, even though there were consequences that remained. And King Uzziah still had a purpose and a ministry, even while he spent the rest of his life completely quarantined from society. His purpose was to help his son 
become the first king of Judah in 130 years to fully follow God. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful this morning for this story of Uzziah. How you led him to be prospered and to be a great king. How he followed you. But how he allowed his pride to creep in is a great example to us. Just when we think that we've got it all together, whether that be financially or in our career, or even just spiritually, we think we've got it all together and we can handle things. That's when the danger comes in. Lord, keep us dependent on you. And Father, if there are any that are here today that are thinking, I don't know that I have that relationship with God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would call upon your name and be saved. Thank you for putting this story in the Bible and reminding us of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.